Thank you. My name is Mark, one of the pastors here. And, you know, on the heels of Valerie's question about what your favorite Winter Olympic sport is, anyone seen the slope-style competition where the snowboarders do those incredible jumps and they flip, like, I don't know how many times. It's, it's like, not human. It looks like a video game or something like that. And, of course, it doesn't, you know, have the, the pageantry of ice skating, but I still find it pretty impressive uh, nonetheless, so it's pretty cool. But uh, glad that you are with us here this morning, and we are in a series called Still, and our theme verse for this passage, Psalm 4610, you saw it just a few moments ago, but since this is our theme verse, we're trying to make this a reality in our lives, let's read this together. Let me hear you read this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I have to think that this is a concept that appeals to a lot of us. I mean, who wouldn't want to just be still? I mean, even that image we keep showing of Lake Tahoe. I mean, hand me a chair. I'd love to just sit up next to that and have a moment to catch my breath. And so here's the thing. We can be attracted to something. We can be convinced that it's a good thing and yet the struggle, I think, for many of us is finding time to be still. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, and I have to come clean right out of the gate. I struggle with this just as much as anybody else. That just this week, I was writing this message at home, and I get a text from my wife, Laura, who says, oh, I forgot to tell you, but our son Luke is getting a character trait award at school today in about an hour. And uh, here at Twin Lakes Christian School, every so often, they will recognize several students at a time, uh, give them an award for a particular character quality, and my son Luke happened to be one of them this week. And you know what my first response was that to, to that? Oh, man, this is not good timing. I know that's terrible. I'm a terrible person because here the school is going to recognize a virtue that I'm trying to instill in my son, and it's a proud moment before his teacher and his peers, and all I can think at first is how this is going to blow a hole in my afternoon. And I'm sure you would never have a thought like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, I, st I, I pulled myself together, put my precious work away, and I'm driving down to the church, and now I start daydreaming. I wonder if I could time it so that I'm just there for, like, when he gets the award. Because those other kids, they don't care if I'm there, right? Again, I know I'm the only one that ever thinks this way. Or maybe not. I'm going to test you. All right, here we go. Two words. Piano recital. Ah, you know where I'm going with this, right? Because you get invited to a piano recital for your child, grandchild, niece, nephew, someone. And, you know, you want to go. You want to encourage. They've been working hard on their piano lessons, you arrive and you see on the program there's 26 other kids that are going to be performing that day. And what do you think? Oh, man. If I could only time it to the three, four minutes that I actually need to be here, as opposed to the two hours that I'm going to hear the train song over and over and over again. Now, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person if you think that way. It just means that we are often pressed for time. I have to think that many of you, your schedule is just maxed out. You swing from one event to the next. You know, you're just, you're, you're so busy. You're like a rock that skitters over a pond. You, you cover some distance, but you never penetrate. You're never fully present in any one moment. 
So you long for the opportunity to slow down. You long to catch your breath, to be still, and know that he's God. But how we allocate our time, how we spend it, it's a challenge. This is really hard. In fact, get this. Right now, I looked this up this week. I entered the words time management in Amazon in their book section. Got 120,000 hits. 120,000 books for sale right now about time management. This is an issue for us. Well, I'm going to save you a little bit of time and money. You don't have to buy any of those books because I'm going to take you to a book that you probably already have, the Bible. And we're going to hear today from someone who has a lot to say on this subject, someone you know of. His name is Moses. And here's why we should listen to Moses today. Moses lived 3,500 years ago. You know his name. You probably know quite a bit about his life. So I have to think, if 3,500 years from now, people know your name, people are talking about things you did, hey, you're an impressive person. We should all just pull up a chair and listen to what you have to say. The Bible says that Moses lived 120 years, so you learn a lot over 120 years, and he had three major careers. Three. You might have one. He had three. They all each lasted 40 years. 40 years. He's a prince in Egypt in Pharaoh's household. He's surrounded by wealth, power. He's got the best education the world can provide. He's helping to run one of the superpowers of the day. Then he kills a guy. And then for the next 40 years, he's living out in obscurity as a shepherd. 40 years. But 40 years into that career, what happens? He encounters God in a burning bush. See, you still know that. 3,500 years later, God says, you're going back to Egypt. Now he's back on the big stage again. He's somebody. He says, God says to Pharaoh, you know, let me, let my people go. Calls down plagues, parts the Red Sea. And for 40 years, he is the leader of a nation. Now, this guy has a little bit of experience, don't you think? He's got some wisdom to offer. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 90. Often we associate the Psalms with David, but this one was written by uh, Moses. And if you don't have your own Bible, you can use one of those TLC Pew Bibles. Or if you're in venue, good morning, uh, all of you in venue. Uh, you can find Bibles in the back of the room today. And uh, this is an incredible, really a, a meditation on how to really be still. He's going to kind of do in action. He's going to, I think, demonstrate for us something that we are trying to achieve in our own life. And I want to give credit this morning to a pastor named Andy Stanley. I'm borrowing some thoughts from him, and I want to acknowledge that. I also want to say that if you fall asleep this morning and you wonder what happened, you can go to our website, tlc.org, and try again. Uh, this sermon, hundreds of others, thousands, in fact, are there. You can watch them anytime, anywhere, and it's all for free. All right, Psalm 90. Let's begin. It says... A prayer of Moses, the man of God. That's a great title, the man of God. And not only is this a prayer, but it's really a meditation. It's going to begin with a meditation on the vastness of God and the, the, the smallness, the finitude of human beings in comparison. Follow along as I read, starting at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout, throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world 
From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see how he's expanding the lens for us? He's going beyond his 120 years, beyond all the generations that have preceded him, before even creation. He says, Lord, before you did any of that, you existed in eternity past. And after all the course of history and the course of this world runs to an end, Lord, after that, you'll, you'll still be there. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's like, wow. I mean, this is big picture. This is as big as the picture gets. And he continues, verse, verse 3. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. And that's a great line. That's the line only God can say that, right? Return to dust, you mortals. But he's not talking about God blasting people. He's just saying from this perspective... You and I, we go from dust to dust like that, that fast. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. A watch is three, sometimes four hours. And he said, it's for you, God, it's like a day. You're so vast. And you know when you're young, a year seems like a long time? You know that year before you get your driver's license? That's a long year, or the year before graduation. But by the time you hit 50 or middle age, year's not so long, is it? It goes by at warp speed. And Moses is, is saying, God, you are so old. <laughs> a thousand years is like a day for you. Not even a day. It's like a couple hours. That's how expansive you are. Continuing with verses 5 and 6. Yet you sweep away, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs new, but by evening it is dry and withered. And he looks for like the smallest insignificant thing he can, a little blade of grass, and says, you know, that's, that's what we're like in comparison. We're born in the morning, mama, by the end of the day, we're old and creaky, it just goes by so fast and you have to be thinking to yourself well this is a really encouraging song so, so glad I came to church today but because Moses has lived longer than us because he's wiser than us he keeps forcing this perspective upon us verse 10 our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. He's saying, you know, first of all, you, you think you're old at 70 or 80. I got 40 years on you. And the older you get, the more troubles you're likely to experience. It's just the way it works. The more time you're around, the more time you have to experience trouble. And he says, man, those last 40 years, those were my hardest ones. I was doing laps out in the wilderness with a bunch of whiners and complainers. It was not fun. I didn't even get to see the promised land. You got to look at it. You didn't get to enter it. But however the years pass, whether they're kind or they're difficult, even if you have 120 of them, they go by so quickly. Rest of verse 10, he says, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If you grew up in church, you might recall a hymn Sometimes we would sing it on Sunday nights, I'll fly away, remember that? I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. You can sing it with me. 
If when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Very nice. Did you know that was Moses? Right here, 3,500 years later, we're singing a song inspired by these words. Now, this next verse probably didn't inspire too many verses. This one's a little bit of a downer, and it's, it's also very hard to translate from the Hebrew, but it goes like this in this English translation, the NIV. They do a pretty good job here. It says, if, we only, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Huh? <laughs> kind of an odd sentence, right? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Like if maybe it's missing a couple words, a modifier, an adjective here or there. But here's what I think Moses is saying in, in this verse and in the perspective that he's been giving us on the expansiveness of God. I think he's saying this. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he is due. I want to write that down. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he is due because that would just be the reasonable, logical response when you start to, to take in God, when you are still enough to do that, and you meditate on who he is, once you start to get a glimpse of that, it's like, wow, he's God. I'm not. He's huge. I'm small. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what does this have to do with, you know, being still? It has everything to, to be with being still. In fact, our theme verse, be still and know that I am God. Be still means let go. Cease striving and know that, that I'm God. One of the reasons that God wants us to do this is because this is how we recalibrate our perspective. And without this regular recalibration of our perspective, we tend to think that we are the center of the universe, that everything actually hinges on us, which leads to either arrogance or anxiety, because uh, either way, I'm thinking, I'm the one that's propping all this up. One of the reasons that God instituted the Sabbath, the day of rest, was so that we would have a weekly opportunity to remember he's the one that provides. This was so powerful in Moses' time when you, know, you couldn't just run down to the market. You ate what, what you gathered, what you toiled for. And so to take a day off and trust that God would provide, trust that he, after all, is the bread of life, this was huge. And it flows out of these regular times when we are still enough to have our perspective renewed. But there's more to it than that. Because if we could see God as, as he is, we would be more careful with the time we've been given. If we could see God as he is, we would be more careful with the time we've been given. And that's really where Moses is bringing us in this meditation. He's going to bring us to this point where we realize, wow, I don't really have a lot of time. And so here comes a prayer request out of this meditation, verse 12. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Just this week, as I've been meditating on this passage, you know, I'm reminded, you know what? I'm not going to have this job forever. I'm not going to be in this stage of life forever. 
My family is not going to look the way it does now forever. We're in a season. And it's a great season for us. Uh, Laura and I, our kids, are 9, 11, and 13, which is a fun time because they're, they're old enough. They're, they're somewhat independent. They don't require constant care. But they're young enough, they're still kids. They still like to hang out with us. You know, they're not embarrassed to be seen with us yet. At least that's what I keep telling myself. I'm not so sure with my 13-year-old. But, you know, we're only going to have so many regular meals around the kitchen table, at least on a daily basis. We're only going to have so many lazy Saturday mornings, like we had yesterday, where we lived in our pajamas for half the day. It's a season that will pass quickly. So Moses says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And here's the big picture in this psalm here. This is what I hope you will take away. When you think of Psalm 90, you remember it. Here's the big idea, and it's this. Remembering our time is limited gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Remembering our time is limited gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. And let me tell you something. If you incorporate this into your life, if you actually learn how to number your days, it will change your life because you will gain a heart of wisdom. You will live more wisely than you otherwise would have. It's that profound. It will actually change your life. And I'm going to prove it to you. Here's the good news. You already know how to do this. You've already done it. If you're married or have been married, when you got engaged and then you set the date for your wedding day, what did you do? You numbered your days, right? You got busy planning and preparing and making all sorts of decisions and, and setting the stage for the wedding day because you knew your days were numbered. If you've ever been a student, you know when you sit down, you get the syllabus in class and you realize when those assignments are due, what do you do? You number your days. The clock is ticking, especially at finals week. You know, you only have so many hours. And even if you procrastinate, like I often did at school, the voice of wisdom shouts at you saying, you better knuckle down. You better get ready because they're going to give that exam whether you're ready or not. See, this is so clarifying because the wisdom in this area, it's, it's not elusive. Once we number our days, our priorities become clear. The things that are urgent and important, they rise to the surface. And so I want to make this really practical. Okay, here's, here's the application. This is what I hope that we will do in our lives and remind ourselves today tomorrow, this week, remind yourself every day of your life, if you can, that my time is limited. So I need to limit how I spend my time. My time is limited, so I need to limit how I spend my time. You might be thinking, well, that's pretty obvious, Mark. But would you agree, much of the time we don't do this? I think there's two obstacles for us making this a regular reality in our life. The first one is that it's just human nature to, to live like we've got all the time in the world, right? I'm going to be around forever. I can put off till tomorrow, whatever. I can just kick the can down the road. I'll get to that eventually. And 
If that's the way you find your thinking often, or you find yourself thinking often, then I would encourage you to review the verses that we just read because it's a corrective, it's an antidote to that type of thinking, to meditate on what Moses says here in Psalm 90. The second reason I think is a little bit more subtle, it comes from our culture, and it's this. I think most of us grow up believing that money is our most precious commodity. And if I had more money, well, then, you know, I could be in command of my own time. I could say, you know, when I'll be where and what I'll do because I'll be the captain of my own ship. That may be true. That happens for some people. But for a lot of people, more money just leads to more stuff, and more stuff leads to spending more time taking care of all your stuff, right? One thing's for sure. You can spend money, and you can probably go out and earn more. You can lose money. And you can likely go and earn more. But you can't spend time or lose time and get one second back. Not ever. So this is huge. This is really what our lives end up amounting to. Not how much money we have in the bank, but how we spent the time that we were given. Well... For the sake, again, of making this a reality in our lives, I want to help us do the math, so to speak, in the way that Moses is encouraging us to do, to to look down the line, because here's the thing. We will have to do the math someday. In our final days, it will be inescapable. We will look back, and we will be aware of how we spent our time. And so this psalm encourages us to get a jump on that and do do stuff now that... We won't be able to go back and and do them. And to help us in this this area, I found a fascinating article by a a woman named Bronnie Ware. Bronnie is an Australian hospice nurse, and she's for many, many years cared for patients in, she says, typically between their third to twelfth week of life. In other words, their last three to twelve weeks of life, she's caring for them. So she's in a perfect position to hear what people are thinking and and what they're feeling when they know they have run out of time. And out of her experiences last year, she wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I'm going to share with you just the two top regrets, and I'm going to start with the second highest one, and it goes like this. Number two, I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I didn't work so hard. That's not terribly surprising. But listen to what she says. This came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Wow. Every single one of them wished they hadn't worked so hard. Now, I get it. We live in a terribly expensive place to live on this planet. It is really hard to make a living, but we have to guard ourselves here because we can get so caught up in 
just the, the daily grind where it's like, I got to keep the pedal to the metal and I got to just keep pushing and pushing and, and hustling and hustling. And I got to work late day after day after day. I got to prove to the boss that I'm the one that, the, that he or she can count on. And after a while, man, if, if I don't do that, I won't make it. That's what we tell ourselves. But let me humbly ask you to consider, have you ever taken a moment to define it? What is the it that you're trying to make? Is it something that's been defined by your culture, by your parents, your peers, your neighbors, your upbringing? What is the it that you're trying to make? Because all the men that she surveyed in her book at the end of their life felt like they had spent far too much time for it. And it wasn't worth it. That's sobering. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying for all of us to get us to think, to reflect for a moment in such a way that, that maybe we can avoid some regrets that would be otherwise avoidable. But once that time passes, there's no going back. First highest regret, the number one regret according to Bronnie Ware, is this. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I'd had a life, I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the one others had expected of me. And to be clear, she's not talking about, they weren't talking about, you know, shirking their responsibilities or, you know, chasing after the person that they thought would make them happier than their spouse or following some one impulse after the next. They're, she's talking about good, God-given dreams. The dreams that, that people had over the course of their life that kept coming back to them, but they kept pushing down the road year after year. And she says this. This is, this is really uh, profound. This is the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. And then she adds this. This is worth meditating on right here. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer Still have freedom? Still have a reasonable level of health? What's your dream? What's the thing that all your life, you say, someday, someday, most people that she talked to, their number one regret, they, they didn't honor those dreams. Yesterday, I was at a funeral for uh, a, just a lovely man, Dudley Jocelyn, longtime member of this church, father of one of our pastors, Jim Jocelyn. From what I could tell, Dudley's dream, uh, especially over the course of his life, was that his family would know and love and follow Jesus. And so he just poured himself into that goal. In fact, uh, the family was surprised. There was a video of Dudley talking from beyond the grave, so to speak, something that was recorded about six months ago. He says, pretty much 
Everything on my bucket list has been crossed off. All I care about is that my family knows Jesus. And it gave him so much joy to know that those efforts had not been in vain. It's just a beautiful life that had been caught up in a dream that Jesus had given him, a dream centered on Jesus. And you think he came by that dream kind of on the run, just skipping from one thing to the next? No. It came in those quiet moments of stillness where the things that matter most became impressed upon his heart. You realize that most of the things you see in terms of the ministries of Twin Lakes Church started as somebody's dream? Our camp, Camp Hammer, was a dream of pastors Roy and Ralph Kraft. Twin Lakes Christian School, where 250 students gather every single day, was the dream of Pastor Dick Jordal. Our People's Pantry that feeds people every single day or every single week of the year was the dream of one woman in this church, Stephanie Knight. Who, she moved away 15 years ago, but the dream has been carried on by dozens of of others, And the list just goes on. Our, this 2020 vision could just as easily be called our 2020 dream, right? Because we're, we're dreaming to accomplish a few things, a building here, a building in, in India, million pounds of food for second harvest while there's opportunity to do it. Because here's the thing, opportunities don't stay open for, forever. And once they're gone, they're gone. Once the window closes, there's no going back. Those of you who are young and single, maybe your dream is to get married and raise a family. That's a wonderful, good, godly dream. I hope that you achieve it someday. But someday if you do and you're holding a little one or you're picking up after them, you're going to think back to when you were young and single and you're going to go, man, I had so much time on my hands. I had a ridiculous amount of time. It's a great time of life to pursue your dreams. Because you're only going to be 20 one time. You're only going to be 30 one time. You're only going to be 40, like two times. (laughs) And you're going to be 50 forever, right? (laughs) Right. Remind yourself as often as you can, my time is limited. So I need to limit how I spend my time. Again, I want to make, I want to help make this very practical practical for all of us. So if you look at the end of your notes here, it says, where do I need to make some adjustments? And this is something that I hope you'll not only do now, but as you take opportunities to be still, because again, that's where this all flows from, this perspective, this sense of priority, this heart of wisdom. You don't get it on the run. You get it in moments of stillness. We let God and his greatness and his truth and his beauty and his purposes recalibrate your sense of what matters. But where do I need to make adjustments? And if you see that first line, there's a little happy face with a plus sign. That's someone in your life who needs more of your time. That's someone you will be glad that you gave them more of your time. And so I want you to think about that person and if not now, write in a name or initial. Next to that, there's a not so happy face with a uh, minus sign. This is someone in your life who you are giving too much of your time to. Now that might have been okay when you were in different circumstance of life, a different stage of life, but now they are stealing time that should be going somewhere else. And if you have a situation like that in your life, that is worth pondering because you only have so much time. The next line with the clocks 
plus and minus, same idea, but with the activities of life. What activities do you feel like you should invest more time into? Is it rest time? Quiet time? Family time? TV time? How many people feel they need more TV? Okay, I've just seen if you're still listening, all right? You're still with me. But the last line, obviously, activities that we could probably curtail a little bit. I don't know what yours are. I know what mine are. It helps when we identify those things that we bring those before the Lord and we say, Lord, give me the power through your spirit to make these types of adjustments. And if you do this, if this becomes a reality in your life, even before you get to your last three or 12 weeks, you will have fewer regrets. You will have more blessings because you will have gained a heart of wisdom. And who wouldn't want that? Let me close with one last story and then my time's up. Uh, this past year, going all the way back to spring, my son Jack, 13, and I started talking about building a skateboard half pipe. And if you don't know what one of those are, here's a picture of, of one on screen, this photo here. It takes a little doing. It's not something you build in an afternoon. And for both uh, as a blessing and a curse, the way my mind works is I'm just an analyzer. I will think about things over and over and over again. And so I'm immediately, I'm going online, I'm researching different building designs, and I'm pricing materials, and I'm thinking how long this is going to take, how much it's going to cost, where it's going to go in the yard, and all this kind of stuff. And I've already burned, you know, two, three weeks, just mentally gearing up for this project. And I decide that the best thing to do would be to find one that someone no longer wants, something that they built and paid for, but they want someone to come take it off their hands. Be a lot cheaper, and so I start searching Craigslist, and well, and the month goes by, and another month goes by. Now it's summer, and there's family activities, and summer stuff, and other projects that come up, things that need to be fixed. And oh, now summer's gone. I check Craigslist every so often, still haven't found the right half pipe. And now it's fall; kids are back in school, and that takes time to gear up for. And months go by, and around the mid-fall. Jack isn't saying anything, but he's, he, isn't he isn't saying anything, if you know what I mean. He's not complaining, but I think he's given up. I think he's despairing that this whole half-pipe thing, this was an exciting thing that Dad was willing to talk about, but it doesn't look like it's ever going to materialize. It looks like other things are always going to take precedent. A few more months go by. Now it's the last couple days of the year, and I, I, I find a half pipe up in Boulder Creek that looks like it'd be just right. But even then, I'm going, well, it's kind of the holidays. And I get a little bit of gentle help from my wife, Laura. kind of looked like this. And uh, <laughs> go up there and make the deal. And now this thing, it weighs, I don't know. 1,500 pounds, and it's as big as a house, and, and so we got to take it apart in pieces, and I'm calling in favors and friends, and Jack's there, and we're, as we're dismantling this thing, the, the owner, really, really nice guy, every time he comes out to check on our progress, he wants to talk about all the times that his three boys had on this half pipe. Now they're mid-teens on up, and the half pipe era has come and gone for them. They're into cars and whatever else. And he knows his boys are quickly becoming men. And on the last day, we're hauling off the last section, and he actually starts to tear up. And I can tell 
that he's replaying all these memories of when his boys were younger and they just went back and forth, back and forth, hour after hour, day after day. I get home and that night I text him because I want to thank him. He, he just was so nice. He let me use tools that I'd forgotten and all this kind of stuff. I thank him and he texts me back. He wishes me well. And then he says, seize the moment, Dad. Just those four simple words. Seize the moment, Dad. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I, I thought, man, for six months or more, I've been just dilly-dallying, getting distracted by other things. And, you know, by God's grace, finally, we, we, we got the thing installed and we've been skating on it the last couple weeks. In fact, my son Jack and I have had moments together, just the two of us, skating on that thing, which I really shouldn't be doing at 50, but it's worth it, <laughs> that we wouldn't have had else otherwise. Moments that maybe he would have just been looking into his iPad or... I would have been doing something else. Someday that half pipe, it's going to go silent again. But we will have the moments that we seized that we otherwise wouldn't have had. And so that man gave me some really good advice. Where do you need to seize the moment, Dad? Where do you need to seize the moment, Mom? Husband, wife, grandpa, grandma, sister, brother, son, daughter, friend. Where do you need to seize the moment, Christian? How has God been speaking to your heart? What's the dream he's laid upon you? Or for those of you who God has been speaking to, you, you're not quite a believer yet, but Jesus keeps tugging on your heart. When will you seize the moment? And respond to his voice. Our time is limited. I pray by God's grace, you will spend it well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment that we can be still in your presence to be reminded that you are God, that you have a perspective on life that we so often um, don't, Lord. We get so caught up in things, in busyness. We live as if we will always have tomorrow. Lord, I, I thank you for the reminder that comes with this day that today is precious. And Lord, I thank you that what, one of the greatest things about being a Christian is that, Lord, you came to not just redeem us, to bring us to heaven, but to redeem our entire lives, that every single thing we do, Lord, can be something that's meaningful, that's something that, that is lasting, or at least something that is done in gratitude, because you have redeemed our lives. We are caught up in you, and so we thank you, Lord, for the joy of knowing that. But I do pray for all of us here today. I pray that specifically, whatever thoughts we've had today in the last few minutes, that it wouldn't just be the end of those thoughts, but we would take time to be still and to review these things, to meditate upon 
the time that you've given us and that you would help us to number our days. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.